listening to Make a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend, Make It Podcast co-host, Nicholas Buds. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk Week, and that means I have my good friend and co-founder, Nicholas Bugs with me. Nick, say hello. What's up, folks? Good to be back. Yes, it is good to be back, and happy Thanksgiving to you, my friend. Happy Thanksgiving to all of our wonderful, uh, wonderful listeners out there, those who have stuck with us from the beginning, watched us grow into this podcast space. And happy Thanksgiving to those who are new to the Make It podcast, new to the world of Chris and Nick. And I hope everyone has a wonderful Turkey Day. One of the things I saw over the weekend, there were a variety of things sort of surrounding President Biden. One of which was that he pardoned these two turkeys. I think their names were peanut butter and jelly. And it occurred to me that every time they pardon these turkeys, it just makes me think of the turkeys who will be slaughtered en masse. I wish they would stop it just for the sake that I can like sort of have less cognitive dissonance around eating turkey at Thanksgiving. You put it in my face that why do turkeys, because it, it begs the question, right? Why do the turkeys need to be pardoned? I don't know, man. And because they were given yeah. a death sentence at birth. Yeah, yeah right. But the, the hard part for me is just like, I know this is maybe a stretch, but it's just the idea of the pardon and the fact that there's a game around it. Because can you imagine the number of families out there who have family members or friends who are on actually on death row? Yeah. And they're over here like we've been petitioning and we've been writing letters and we've been doing all this stuff to get our family member, our friend off death row. And you going to pardon a turkey like you're going to take your time and, you know, airtime and all this stuff to pardon a turkey like, bro. Bro, you know, it's like I was like, come on, you know. I'm with you because yeah. when whenever somebody gets pardoned that was wrongly convicted, a lot of people have to get together. You spend millions of dollars sometimes to help someone get pardoned. Yeah. A lot of time, a lot of effort, paperwork. And there's just so many more that just need to be pardoned that are in jail for a crime they didn't commit. And that's the sad part. But I guess, Nick, you can have solace in the fact that every turkey is guilty of being delicious. There are no other like turkeys that are going to get so, off. So, like, wait, wait, wait. so what you're saying is they're being pardoned. <laughs> it's a Trump like, pardon. From their, right, from their deliciousness. Right, like you, you're no longer guilty of that. Right. <laughs> That's right. So you can wait, wait, you can rest. Let, let, let me be clear. Well, let, let me be clear. This, this, this turkey, 
<laughs> Despite its deliciousness, uh, right? <laughs> it shall be set free. <laughs> oh my God! It is. Yes. It, it's yes. We live in. We live. We live in a sometimes hard to believe world. I'm not a, this world is a simulation guy necessarily. Um, but sometimes you're like, what is going on? Like, what are we doing? Like, what, 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 what is, what is happening? Playing games, man. Playing games. Playing games. That's what we do. We play games and, um, you know, dumb games get dumb prizes as someone, uh, smart once told me, uh, we're playing some pretty smart games. These days, uh, just a quick update on what we're up to. Uh, we have now released our second edition of our newsletter. Super pumped about that. Huge oh, yeah. response from the first one. Yep. Thanks, everybody. We appreciate it. Yep. Big response for the second one as well. Yep. But those responses are still coming in because we only released it a few days ago as of this recording. And so I'm really pumped to see, are people going to get a lot of value out of this? Um, how are they going to use a newsletter? How will we improve it over time? And so I wanted to call back to it because we say that we're going to do a lot of things on these indie talks. And sometimes it's like, well, where is that thing you said you were going to try out and do? And it's like, well, <laughs> right. you know, we're a small company. We're, we're just, you know, we're a couple of guys with some people that are helping us out as well. Uh, so small staff. And it takes a long time to roll something out and then make sure it's going to be good and meet our brand standards, right? And our, and our quality standards. And to also make sure we can layer in the additional habit or the additional sort of process to put that thing out in a way that's meaningful. And so yep, the newsletter sure. is something we figured out, Hey, we're going to do that. Uh, in terms of like the daily indie talks we've talked about, we're working on it. We're just trying yes. to figure out how to do it because we definitely have enough to say. We definitely want to do it, uh, but we have to figure out how we're going to do it all the time and in what format. Like, are we going to like record it and then put it out like we do now? Or are we going to live stream it on YouTube when our YouTube channel starts in 2022? That's another promise that we said we're going to keep. Like, how are we going to do it? So anyway, keep your ear to the ground. Big things coming from from Bonsai. We have. Uh, things in every area. So in the area of film investment, in the area of branding and marketing, and in the area of thought leadership, we are literally like filling those streams with brand new ways to help independent filmmakers. And a lot of that stuff is going to launch in 2022. Um, speaking of independent filmmakers and supporting them and everything they do, Nick, why don't you introduce us to tonight's topic and sort of lay out the, I guess, the landscape of the issue here. Yeah, I'll jump in, man. And it's an interesting one because, as I think as everyone knows, Rust has been what, on the tip of the tongue for a lot of folks over the past couple of weeks. And Just for those who don't know, like, give, give a little backstory. Yeah, yeah. Give and a little backstory yeah, on Rust. For sure. And this is the, the issue with... Um, I guess a number of things, but basically starts out with, you know, Alec Baldwin, you know, accidentally, you know, shooting actually two people on set, uh, one of whom who died. And there have been a lot of inquests into what's going on on that set or what has gone on, I think, for several weeks 
Uh, there were concerns from, you know, the crew about, you know, the mishandling of the weapons, the mishandling of the ammunition, uh, some other challenges, you know, that have kind of led up to this thing. I think they were saying that there was a number of things and, you know, I think there was a walkout at one point, you know, on set uh, uh, earlier in the shoot. And then, you know, next thing you know, you have this and this is not a, a minor incident by any means. You know, there's someone died on this set. I think we've heard of a couple of injuries on sets of different films, uh, even uh, Black Panther 2. You know, there was a recent injury that, you know, required them to stop. Uh, but this one is is huge, again, because someone died on set and, you know, ammunition, you know, bullets uh, is what it appears to be live ammunition was fired, you know, at a director on set. And this is just it's very sad. It's unfortunate. Uh, and the news was going on about this for for some time, of course, after it happened. You know, it's, this is huge. This is Alec Baldwin as well. You know, mm -hmm. huge star. Um, and just as the news started to die off, you know, some new news has now come to the forefront. And I've seen this, you know, specifically, I'm going to quote, you know, Hollywood Reporter in a second. But we've also seen a, a couple of other places, some, you know, other periodicals, some uh, podcasts have all kind of jumped on this train a little bit in this conversation about, you know, this is potentially endemic of, you know, these producers as well as, you know, potentially the, the indie film world. So in the Hollywood Reporter, they had, you know, the, the headline, you know, Rust Producers Prior Film Raised Red Flags. And then it goes on to say, insiders say the never released Dennis Quaid Queen Latifah project, The Tiger Rising, is emblematic of an indie film world marked by late payments, broken promises, and ineffectual union intervention. Quote, it is disgusting how you are treating the entire crew, end quote. So if you look at that, you know, that kind of that headline or that subtitle there, you know, it is emblematic of an indie film world marked by. Mm -hmm. And then you go on to read the article and listen to some of the podcasts that kind of repeat and regurgitate what they're saying. You listen to that, you read some of the other periodicals, you know, other news outlets who are basically, again, saying the same thing. They're just kind of repeating this idea that there's, you know, a significant problem with independent film. And I think that's kind of dangerous. You know, I think that there are like, we know for a fact that there's people in independent film and likely in studio film who are sharks, who, you know, uh, are devoid of the kind of scruples and ethics and morals that one would want, um, especially in independent film where you've got a lot of folks who are very trusting and, you know, there's a lot of gatekeepers that people have to go through. Uh, but I don't know that this is something that should require or create some significant inquest into independent film. I even heard, you know, uh, one person talk about the tax incentives and how, you know, it sounded like they were making generalities about, hey, look, these independent filmmakers are using these tax incentives and it doesn't even matter if they, you know, get their film distributed or not. You know, but they're taking advantage of these tax incentives and making these films. And, you know, it seems like they're trying to profit off of that. No, we work with a lot of filmmakers, man. Yeah. And those incentives are huge for them just to get these films made. And they have every desire and design to get these things distributed. Now, whether or not they're successful or successful to the degree that they want to in their distribution strategy is another thing. But I would say on the whole, the filmmakers are looking to actually get their films out there. They're not just making films to make films and to try to profit off of these 
you know, tax incentives that they're getting. So, you know, I just, I just, it, it caught me, you know, when I saw this thing in Hollywood Reporter and then I, I heard other people kind of jumping on that same bandwagon, I immediately started talking to our filmmaking friends, you know, put it out on our forum, you know, on our yeah. website, you know, we're talking about it here. Just letting people know, hey, they're talking about you, right? So yeah. if this comes up in conversation and someone says, did you hear about the Tiger Rising and independent filmmakers doing that? I'm like, no, 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 no. It's these producers, right? And so that's what we need to be on the lookout for is producers like these who don't pay their people or have the appropriate safety precautions and, and so on. So, so yeah, I just wanted to bring that up tonight because it's just, I just don't think it's right for them to broad brush this across indie film when it's really producers like these that we need to be on the lookout for. Yeah. And I think if you, if you're going to sort of take those broad strokes on indie film, what are you doing to improve it? Are you saying, Hey, let's just stop making indie films. Are you going to help uh, what ails indie film? And, you know, if you get into indie film early on, one of the things you, you start to find out, is who is on sort of the profit taking side and who is not. Mm -hmm. And if you look at that model, there lives a bunch of pariahs and, and piranhas and grifters. There's a lot of grift in that model because what happens is, is you, if you're on the, if you're on the ownership of the IP side or the distribution of IP side and independent film, um, once you have contracts in place that give you the right to, to do what you want with a piece of intellectual property, then, then you don't have to keep your promises to the independent filmmaker. And you might say, well, Chris, you just mentioned contracts. Of course I have to keep the promises. Well, the problem is, is that independent filmmakers don't tend to have any financial leverage to go after those people that are the contract holders. And it creates just a terrible cycle of, of mistrust and, and doubt about even just wanting to be in that industry and, and, and like, well, I'm going to make it to the studio side or I'm never doing this again. because It's terrible. The other part of it is, is a lot of times independent filmmakers just don't know what's a good contract and what's a bad mm -hmm. contract. Um, and so there are terms in the contract that really don't work out and aren't advantageous for the filmmaker. And then, and then when they need to roll out or back out of a contract, they can't do it because they have no, you know, contractual leg to stand on. And you say, well, what about our entertainment lawyers? Well, what entertainment lawyer could you afford? And if you got a good entertainment lawyer, um, the, the thing about that is sometimes they don't know what you want out of a contract. And so they're just saying, this is standard to me. It looks pretty good to me. And if you don't tell them or don't know the right questions to ask, like if you don't know the why it's, it's like uh, I always talk about kids these days, they know uh, everything in the world is at their fingertips, right? They, they, they could know it all because of the internet and because of Google and search, but they don't know what to search for. Or so, what to do with what they find. Right. And so, <laughs> and so that's why when you go to the, to the top 10 most search list on Yahoo, for example, which is like 
for whatever reason, the best use of Yahoo today is just to find out what people are searching for. It's like always Ariana Grande <laughs> or it's like Kim Kardashian loves, you know, Pete Davidson or whatever. It's like, okay, this is what you're Googling. And there's a lot to Google. Like there's a lot going on in the world right now from a technological standpoint, science standpoint, health standpoint. And these, this is what you, so you don't know what to read about, know what to do, right? So if you go into this contract situation as an independent filmmaker, your lawyer is just saying, look, I've got a lot of clients. Tell me what you want in this contract. We can try to work it out and negotiate it. But if you don't know what to ask for it, you usually don't get it. And indie filmmakers are typically sort of exhausted at the end of post and they are just looking to go fast. Yeah. Fast I'll, I'll also yeah. yeah. And say like, you know, on that, the contractual side of it, I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head with respect to, you know, what is the lawyer there to do? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that there are some entertainment lawyers that, you know, really understand the industry. And yeah. when you contract with them, then what you're doing is you're contracting almost like a, it's like part lawyer, part sales agent, if you mm-hmm. will, where they're like, what's the best deal we can get for you? And then bind that contractually. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that the majority of the filmmakers are finding people like this. They're finding people who may actually may or may not be entertainment lawyers, but are lawyers who understand the letter of the law. So when they bring a contract, they say, is this, you know, one, is it a legally binding contract? Is it legally sound? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, is there anything unethical or illegal identified in the contract? Things like that. But like you said, if they're just looking at whether it's a legally sound document, well, it could be legally sound and not in your best interest at the same time. Exactly. Because the end of the day, the lawyer works for you and they want you to cut a deal because you want to cut a deal. Right. So their, 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 their yeah. goal is to make the deal, you know, happen. Like, like, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, let's move forward with the deal. The other thing that happens to independent film, because the money distribution is so lopsided is that the lawyer you, and the better the lawyer, the, the greater the chance of this, the lawyer, the lawyer you hire probably has worked for or knows the distributor on the other side of the contract. So there's, there's a unspoken conflict of interest a lot of times that exists at the base level where, you know, the last thing you want to find out is that the lawyer you hired goes and plays golf with the person you're negotiating against every Sunday. <laughs> like, like that, right. that is something you, you have to be careful. So let me say the other side of this. So, so if I just mentioned that side, that's the experience you get when you first start an independent film and you think, wow, I have to really keep my eyes open. Da, 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 da. The other side of that, though, is that all of that stuff is preventable. And that's why the Hollywood Reporter article, the the podcast we're referencing and these producers talking, they're not really exploring the full gamut of independent film and don't understand that really it's about education and leverage and helping independent filmmakers have that. And then they won't get in these situations where where you're blaming and broad brush brushing all of independent film right. for something that is really preventable based on are the producers and EPs on a particular indie film prepared for each step of the filmmaking process from development to distribution. Yeah. And it's, 
You know, you will say that for independent film, you know, the challenge there in the indie space is that, you know, there's a lot of inexperience there Yes, as well, right? So, you know, I, I think, that I'm, I'm not certain, but when I see stuff like this is happening on specifically like the Tiger Rising and mm-hmm. it seems like a very fragmented set, you know, yeah. um, I think that, again, I don't know, but it feels like they also kind of... Um, went against one of our first principles, which is no mercenaries. No mercenaries, yeah. Right, and I think that when you have strong, cohesive teams that have been working together for a long yep. time, which is can, what can you I get in studios. Can, can, I have you, can I have you explain no mercenaries to to those who might be new or, or haven't heard us talk about that principle before? Yeah, I mean, basically. It speaks for itself a little bit, right? But, yeah. but can you talk about why it's so important in film, I guess? Yeah, yeah, I think for us, it's a matter of, um, you know, we really believe strongly that filmmaking is like a family affair, right? Everyone has to be on board with the vision and, you know, the the goals of the project, right? And those that vision, the goals isn't necessarily just the production, isn't just the making of the thing. Uh, it's also the distribution of the thing. It's the marketing of the thing. It's It's everything. And when you have people who are coming in just for a paycheck, you know, they're not there for the goals and the vision. They're there for the paycheck. And you know, they come in, they do their part. They may not know other people, right? They don't have um, a, a personal human investment in the other people that are on set uh, or, you know, behind the camera. And, you know, they'll leave at the end of the day, right? Their job is done. They leave, they go off and do the next thing. They don't carry a sense of, you know, responsibility, you know, for the project itself. Right. And, you know, we've worked in that environment before. And, you know, once we did it one time, you know, you and I said, we'll never do that again. Yeah. Right. This needs to be a team. It needs to be a family. It needs to be a group of people who are all in this project together. And we won't just, you know, grab people for hire, which I think is much easier to do in independent film. Right. It's you, you get some money together, you grab some some cast crew, you might even call some people and say, hey, you know, who do you know that does this? Well, I know this guy who does it. He's, you know, he's been really good on a couple of projects I was on. And then you piece together this crew and maybe even cast. And then you try to build something together. And it's a challenge for the cast, the crew and, you know, the director, the producers, the executive producers. Uh, it becomes a challenge. So then if you have every, you know, every man slash woman um, basically out for themselves, then potentially you get what you got with the Tiger Rising. Potentially you get what you got with Rust. I don't know. Right. But I think that's yeah. it is that, again, this isn't emblematic of indie film. <laughs> you know, I think that's the issue. It's not all indie film. It's just these types of productions. And I think that's what people should be wary of. So you know, if you're joining a project that is built on mercenaries, be careful, be wary, or just don't do it. You know, I get that a paycheck is a paycheck sometimes, but, you know, if a paycheck is a paycheck and you end up down the barrel of a gun that was loaded with live ammunition, that's not a good day, right? That's not a good project, <laughs> right? So yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think, again, like if you're a family, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Everybody's looking out for one another. That's not going to happen. Everybody has everybody's back. That's right. 100%. You mentioned trust earlier, too, about how trusting independent filmmakers are. It's not that they're trusting. Like, I think that independent filmmakers are the most distrustful. <laughs> like, they, the, like, they have the most paranoia. 
Like they have their antenna up for grift and sharks all the time because they've heard every nightmare story in the world. And they, it's, it's, it's kind of like if, if you're a small kid, you don't go around pushing people in the back, right? Like, like you keep to yourself, you understand what your limitations are. You understand what you can and cannot get involved in. Independent filmmakers are the same way. So we want to avoid people who can lean on us in a, in a way that we can't lean back. Mm-hmm. But, but, and this is what the spirit of what I think you were saying, they do trust someone that comes off as a known entity or authority or known brand or authoritative mm-hmm, sure. brand. Yep. And that's where they're willing to give their baby away. And, and that's where we like to come in and say, Hey, let's think this through. They're on the profit taking side of, of, of this seesaw, right? This scale between your intellectual property and, and what they're going to do with it. And the, the money flows through them. So they have all the power in this situation. So it's like, chill out. Let's see what it is. Let's think about it. Let's try to get multiple offers. Let's think about creative ways to distribute. Let's think about four walling. If we have to, let's think about different types of circuits. Let's think about just doing, uh, uh, local rights, not international mm-hmm. rights. So our U S rights, not international rights. Let's think about that as we go in, because you, you could be manipulated by that higher authority bias. Right. It's, right. it's, the, it's the reason why um, George Floyd could happen. Right. So when Chauvin was, was doing what he was doing on film, brazen, his own officers didn't stop him. His, uh, uh, the people filming didn't stop him. No one tried to tackle him. No one tried to physically intervene. It goes back to, you know, university studies where a doctor tells you to shock someone at a level that would cause them incredible pain or even kill them. And you do it because the doctor said so. And uh, it's the reason, you know, they going back to even slavery, uh, the the excuse used to be that that black people had a submissive gene or, or, or brain that was subservient to the slave owners, the master. And that's why black people never revolted. Well, first of all, black people revolted and ran away all the time. Uh, Second of all, it's also that authority bias. Mm -hmm. It's like when, when your life is on the line, you tend to fall in line. That's all. And it had nothing to do with, black folks brain being different or us being a different species and <laughs> being of subservient species. Like right. they tried to sell us in eugenics and all this different stuff. And it, it, everybody, everybody, me and you included, we are subject to this and we have to check it and be like, why do I believe in that so much? Yeah. And, and I think that, and, and a lot of times to producers. me, that's when we see people get, get messed over. It's like, this producer has a name yeah. or this, or, or this company has done this, this, and this, or sometimes the company will say, Oh, they've worked with this many films and this, and these people, and they're offering us this amount. 
And then yeah, there's the numbers. Money. I was going to say that. Yeah, I was going to say that. It's the money. You know, because but the money's not like, really there. Yeah, and the, but it's it's the idea of the here, money. Here, or here's a lesson, the Nick. Money is there. Here's a lesson, Nick. Did you get paid if there's no money in your hand? Did anyone <laughs> buy anything? Right. So if you didn't get a minimum guarantee or MG, someone didn't wire funds into your account, you didn't get paid. You gave your movie away. You gave yeah. it away. So, yeah, so I think we fool ourselves sometimes as indie creatives because we want so badly to be successful with what we, what we work so hard on. And we, I said hard on, God dang it. We work so hard on, but I said it again. <laughs> you said it again. <laughs> um, and, and we rush in. We rush in and say, yeah, they paid us. This is what we got. This is contractual. No, 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 no. Where's the money? Where's the proof that someone could pay that? Right? Where's the plan? Where's the, the detailed branding and marketing strategy that they promise you at the negotiating table? You have to see it and it has to be specific to you and your film. If they send you a bunch of PDFs and, and slicks, PDF slicks, they sent that to everybody. That's not a plan for you. That's a plan of what could happen. And I'm just telling you more times than not, almost every time, once they have your signature on that contract, all bets are off. There's no marketing plan. There's no branding plan for you. And there's no money coming. <laughs> All right. So we, we, we got to bring it back because my man just took it down. I'm like, I'm sad about it. I feel, yeah, a, little, yeah. I feel a little hurt. I'm like, but, oh, well, why, why, well, why here's how you this you, thing? You know, I'm like, here's how you bring it why? back. Here's how you bring it back, Nick. <laughs> Do the reverse. Like, so I just said, that's where the grift is. That's where the, the con is. That's where the shark is. How do independent filmmakers do the exact opposite of what I say? Because it, because that's the part that I think I want to focus on. I wanted to say, look, this is what it could be like, and this is what maybe those producers were saying, and this is what that article in the Hollywood Reporter was focusing on. But what they're leaving out is how you can defend yourself against it, and the fact that a, a clean deal does exist and a clean path yeah. forward. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the thing for me is that, you know, we could expound upon that probably for the next, you know, few days, not even hours. Uh, but I think that that's where it would have been nicer for these conversations to go, mm-hmm. you know, as again, you know, stop talking about independent film, right. Talk about these guys. Yeah. Right. And then make that what this is about. It's like, be wary of producers who, Dot, dot, do dot. A, B, C, D. E. Exactly. Be yeah. wary of contracts that look this way. Be mm-hmm. wary of these things and kind of put it out there to independent film so that people can learn from it. But don't create a sense that it is inherently broken and should not be trusted. Like, that's my thing. So, that no, no. that is not okay. So, like, if you are listening to this and you read that article or you heard anyone kind of Again, regurgitating that article, I'm just literally here. It's like almost like a PSA. Like, don't believe that. It's not endemic. It's not emblematic of indie film on the whole. But there are these people out here who will take advantage of 
the naivete. They'll take advantage of the ignorance. They'll take advantage of, like you said, they're tired, you know, at the end of production, they're worn out. They'll take advantage of that. They'll take advantage of, you know, uh, like you said, the fact that they've worked with other filmmakers of a certain stature or certain brands, they'll take advantage of that in order to take advantage of you. So be mindful, be wary. You know, we talked earlier, you talked about, you know, the lawsuits and, you know, contractual obligations. And again, this is all about indie film, but didn't Scarlett Johansson sue Disney? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, that's a that's a major studio here that she sued because, you know, she believed that they you know, broke their you know contractual obligations to her. Um, she basically so won because they settled. Exactly. So that's the thing is that these things happen at a lot of different scales of filmmaking. Um, so again, this is not just, you know, it should not be an indictment on indie film. Uh, but I, I do hope that, you know, some good comes of it and that there are some more pointed conversations about these folks. You know, it's funny you talked about brands and you talked about, you know, money. Sometimes I wonder, like, are we going to remember, is there going to be money brand or some other sort of amnesia associated with these folks in like a year. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, is it like, they're like, they're horrible right now. Right. I mean, between these two films, there's just like horror they'll stories move, left move, and right. They'll, they'll move forward. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, is in a year, are we going to forget this whole conversation and they're going to be off making their next film, you yeah. know, with someone else. And that one will be successful without issues yeah. or, is there going to be some, you know, are, are they going to be blacklisted? No, the, the, you know? They'll, they'll move forward. And, and the reason why is because they might, they probably have a knack for making uh, people money. And whenever they lose that knack, there you go. Yeah. And then, yeah, then they'll be conveniently blacklisted or out of work. The Weinsteins were great at making movies and making money. Right. They just, they just were. And sometimes people will say, well, I'll take the bad for the good, right? Like, uh, what did I watch this weekend? I just watched um, Django Unchained again. Okay. Which I believe, over the weekend, which I believe will be like a movie that film students are asked to watch in 2080, right? So... And they'll say, okay, what is this? Right. Like the way we go back and watch movies from the 1920s, like it's that important of a movie because there's so many metaphors in it for the way that black people run around the world today a little bit. That was a Harvey Weinstein movie. (laughs) That was a Bob and Harvey Weinstein movie. Does it get made without them? Maybe not because it is incredibly violent and, and wild. And, right. and so unconventional, like as a, you know, Tarantino movie and just even everything about the score and the language. So I'm not making an excuse for Bob and Harvey. I'm saying this is what happens, right? This is why I think they'll probably move forward in a year because so few people are exceptional enough to understand how to make money and get things done in film. Cause you know, a lot of times what happens in indie film is you'll have a really great producer or two who is 
business minded and creative at the same time and has a good plan for how to brand and market you and how to be profitable and the kind of story you need to tell and the kind of casting decisions you need to make and the kind of decisions the actors need to make and the way they need to look and things like that. And you'll have an indie filmmaker, first time filmmaker, maybe second time filmmaker, and they're going to stick to their guns on everything. And they're the artist, you know, the artiste, they're the auteur, uh, their, their creativity cannot be questioned and they're just going to do it their way. And we know a couple of filmmakers. We know a bunch of filmmakers that are like that. They're just like, Hey, I hear you, Nick, but we're going to do it our way. Sound yeah. good. Sound <laughs> good. No, we wink yeah. right at you. And yeah. then, and then we sit around, we just wait. We're, we like, where did that film go? Oh, nowhere. Got it. Oh, you're not done with it. Oh, got it. So no money yet. Oh, got it. So the idea is, is that sometimes we get in our own way as indie filmmakers as well, because we won't allow a family to be created, right? Like we, we create mercenaries ourselves through our ego. And a lot of things, the thing about an ego trip is you usually travel alone and we have to we have to avoid that because it gets us into all kinds of situations and it actually puts us at a disadvantage when we do run into a sharky person or we do run into a con man or woman or a grifter who is trying to take us uh, because of our inexperience and they understand how the money side of this business works and that it's all about the ownership of the intellectual property at the end of the day and what you can do with it to exploit it. And so, and, and how much, money you actually need to, to make. You, I think you talked about this ad nauseum in past any talks, Nick, is like a services deal that most independent distributors operate under. It's not like they need to make a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars from your film. They're going to manage two to 3000 films and they're going to try to make eight grand each. Right. And that's going to be a very, very lucrative business for them. And meanwhile, you know, you spent 250, 350, 550, 1 million on your independent film. You missed some deadline or didn't fill out a form correctly or didn't have enough labor in a particular state. And you missed out on your subsidy from the state. So you didn't even get that basket of money. Right. And your producer may have told you that you need to get that basket of money. You didn't have. So these kind of things happen. There's basically there's a lot of trip wires on your way. Even when you have people who have your best interest at heart. So I think the thing we have to learn is these producers are not all producers. The ones you were talking about in the, in the Hollywood Reporter article and the ones from Rust, those producers are not all producers. Matter of fact, most producers in independent film are super ambitious, super hardworking, right. super creative and, and, and straightforward. seeking distribution for their films. Right. Yeah. And seeking distribution for their films. But can they get together with other people who feel the same way and move in one direction, you know, in, in a powerful way, that is the thing we can all get better at. And I think it's something that yeah. me and you were trying to accomplish through some of the things we're doing. Speaking of which, uh, we did just introduce, you mentioned this earlier, but again, I, I normally am pretty good about like jumping in and saying, Hey, contextualize <laughs> that you mentioned the forum, but you didn't tell anybody what it was. So can you, nope. can you, this is a new thing. We just introduced the forum. What is the forum? What are the possibilities of the forum and how does it tie into, to independent filmmakers world? 
Yeah, for sure. So yeah, we just we now have the filmmaker forum uh, available at bonsai.film. And it's a place right now where we're pushing content out, you know, and it's yep. basically if you look at, you know, bite-sized content that we're finding in the world of, of indie film, uh, you know, we know a lot of people live in, let's say, like Instagram space or Twitter space and, you know, right now and Facebook space. There's all this stuff that's just getting kind of pushed out. Algorithms are sending you stuff. Uh, some of the stuff that you want, you actually can't get because if you haven't engaged with it in two weeks, the algorithm doesn't think you want it, though you like it. Mm-hmm. So even findings, you know, independent film related content can be a challenge sometimes. Yep. So, you know, for our folks, we've created the Filmmaker Forum. So when we find something interesting that we're talking about, you know, maybe we're going to talk about it on the podcast. Maybe it's something that one of you know our guests on the podcast have talked about, something that we found in the news uh, like this article we're talking about today, we'll just post that basically that little bite of goodness out there on the filmmaker forum, and you know people can consume that content right there. Uh, so you can like, you can comment, basically like a social forum, right? And we have different threads, indie news you can use, festival information, all sorts of stuff that we post out there. Uh, some of the stuff from our partners, you know, out there in the festival world, uh, we'll put that content out there to make you folks available. So, you know, all you have to do to get access to the Filmmaker Forum is go to bonsai.film, uh, hit that Filmmaker Forum, and you can just sign up. It's free, you know, 100% free. Log in, get your, get your login and, and check it out. Now you can get notifications on, you know, when things are posted and, you know, at some point I think we'll open it up, you know, so our independent filmmaking community can uh, engage there as well and create posts. Uh, but right now we're just testing the waters, you know, seeing what it's like people, you know, looking at things, liking, commenting, um, just, just like I said, you know, picking up these little bites of goodness as you go through your day. When you log into the forum, do does that give everyone access to the newsletter? Uh, the newsletter, no, but it gives you access to all a lot of the oh, content. Oh, oh, does it give them access to get the newsletter, the next one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. So, good. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you'll be able to get it because, you know, once you log in, you'll have your email with us at bonsai.film. And then, yes, you'll be able to get the newsletter from us as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and a lot of the content from the newsletters, we actually do, uh, we kind of, you know, do it both ways. We can source content from the filmmaker forum as we put stuff in there, uh, but also we'll take content out of our newsletters and make it available via the forum. So again, we're always looking for ways to get that good content out there. So, um, you know, we'll put it out in, in different ways, the newsletter being one of them. Yep. And you can find that at www.bonsai.film forward slash forum, right? Yep. You got it. Perfect. And you can also find us at www.bonsai.film and at underscore Bonsai Creative on social, on Instagram and on Twitter. So do hit us up there. If you have questions and comments, you know what people like to do? They like to email us. It's at contact at bonsai.film. Thank you to everyone who's emailed us in the last two weeks and given us so much love on recent episodes and on the newsletter. Uh, super proud, super happy with how the Chris Haley conversation turned out. That was oh, yeah, for sure. uh, a marathon conversation for sure, but there's so much to learn. Boy, does it have some moments in it <laughs> yeah. that, are, that are super evergreen. So check yeah. that out. Check out our conversation with Adam Shartoff. We've released those two this month. So Adam Shartoff, the great podcaster on Film Wax, just released his YouTube channel. It's awesome. And uh, I just watched one of his YouTube clips where uh, he has a filmmaker on that's just having an absolute rant about Bill Maher. It's really great. So go check out Adam Shartoff's <laughs> stuff and are on an absolute rant, rant about Bill Maher and uh, Chris Haley. I mean, yep. 
And yeah. do stay for the end because he gives a very emotional performance of uh, one of his poems that he that he wrote, and I was floored by it. I thought it was just a great read by him, and it's a great poem. It was. Um, it was. It, it, it really was. Um, Facebook, you can find us just by searching for Bonsai Creative as well. You can reach out to Nick. So this is the thing about Nick. He wants you to have his email. He's not like most people. That's right. <laughs> so email him at nick at bonsai.film, nick at bonsai.film, if you want to get in touch with him directly. Me, I enjoy the tweets. I enjoy the Twitter. So tweet at me. You can find me, Christopher Barkley, on Twitter. You, I'll come right up. Or uh, you can just use my handle, which is flame in your heart on Twitter and your is spelled you are so flame in your heart on Twitter and I'll get right back to you and we can have a little combo on the old Twitter uh, machine. So, uh, Oh, got to mention true fans before I forget. And we got to mention rate and review. So yep. what do we always say about rate and review? It takes no time. It is like a five second thing where you go to Apple podcast, you scroll down on our podcast and you just click five star button and you're done. If you haven't done that yet, what are you waiting for? Do yeah, it. Handle up, handle up. And, and, if, and if you don't person. think we deserve it, Nick at bonsai.film. <laughs> Let him know how he's messing this podcast up and why yeah, right. uh, it's three stars instead of yeah, five right, and, right, and, right. and how let's he talk. can improve to get on my level. Let's talk. And yeah, let's let's, talk. Let's, let's, let's I'm talk always about looking it. to improve. You know, I'm always <laughs> looking to improve. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And then, of course, true fans. So if you go to, to our website, again, that's bonsai.film. You can see the true fans. You'll find the true fans tab. Click it. And you can contribute to our cause and the cause of independent filmmakers all across the world. Uh, contributions started just $5. That's like a chai latte. Chai lattes are delicious, but right. they also have 800 calories. You could probably do without <laughs> that going into the holiday season. Instead, reapply that to Bonsai, and we will reapply that to the independent film community as we exactly. do. And so, again, that's true fans, and it's easy. It's easy to sign up, easy to do, and it's a good cause. And I'm probably, it might even be uh, deductible for some people. I don't even know. Uh, we'll have to work on that if it isn't. Uh, so with that, Nick, I think I've given all the uh, post amble I can give. Yeah, that's it, man. You, you covered all bases, bro. All bases. Can, can you leave us yeah. with the uh, credo after this wonderful conversation? Oh, yeah, man. Of course, to our filmmaking family and friends out there, as always, be better, be creative, be engaged. And thank you for listening. Nick, talk to you soon. Yes, sir. We'll do it. All right, man. Be good. Happy all Thanksgiving. Right, man, take it easy. Yeah, peace. Same to you. Peace. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.bonsai.film and click Contribute. Contributions start at only $5 monthly. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. 
You can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film. And you can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart. That's F-L-A-M-E-I-N-U-R-H-E-A-R-T. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Services to explore a variety of offerings from keynotes and panels to pitch readiness assessments and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.